There we go. We pick up in a four-month series that I told you about last week. It's called TGIF. It's about truth, godliness, influence, and finishing. And right now, this month, we're focusing on truth. Last week, I shared with you about truth and about your worldview. I shared with you that your worldview is established by your culture, how you were raised. Your worldview is based on the things you see and hear as you grow up in that culture, your family, your school, TV, etc. And I want you to think about that as we continue on this journey today in truth. You see, we live in a culture with many opinions about who Jesus is. And I think it's critical, I think it's foundational that as Christians we know what the Bible says about Jesus. It's critical that as Christian parents, dads and moms, that we reflect what the Bible says about Jesus to our children. You see, I think if we don't raise our sons and our daughters up on a firm foundation that is Jesus Christ, the world will gladly take our place and raise them up on a foundation, I would say, that is built of quicksand. This morning, I'm going to share with you a very non-traditional Mother's Day message. We're going to look at what John the Baptist knew of truth, specifically what he knew about the truth of Jesus, but more specifically, how his worldview shaped what he would do and say and what he would believe as truth, how he was able to stand for truth regardless of what those around him said or did. You see, but this story doesn't start with John. It actually ends with John the Baptist. It starts with his parents. You may remember them, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, what I'm about to share with you, you can read about this week in Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase some things and get us rolling. It was a time when Herod was king of Judea. And there was a priest named Zechariah. His wife's name was Elizabeth. And the Bible tells us that both of them were considered righteous in the eyes of the Lord. They observed all of his commands, all of his decrees, and they did it blamelessly. Unfortunately, Elizabeth was not able to have children. And we find this couple is now very old, but still living out their lives righteously before the Lord. However, their lives were about to change. (laughs) When the time came for Zechariah's priestly division, they were divided up in smaller groups. And it was time for his priestly division, if you will, to go into the temple of the Lord. Uh, More importantly, it was time for that someone from that division to go inside the temple and to burn incense to the Lord. And and so how this works is, first off, they cast lots to see who it's going to be. And Zechariah was selected to go and perform this sacred duty. And this is a big deal because everyone is outside, and Zechariah is in the temple burning incense for the Lord, and all of a sudden an angel is standing in front of him at the right side of the altar of incense. Verse 12 uh, actually, this kind of gives us a, a good synopsis of what happens. The, the angel appears, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him, to which my mind says, you think? Um, <laughs> you're in the temple of the Lord, you're burning incense, you're praying for the people, and then all of a sudden there's an angel. And so it goes on. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back 
to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And in all caps, I love this, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. So as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, I would like to say here that Zacharias was all excited that he high-fived the angel, that he did a little victory dance. I mean, because not only are we going to have a baby, but he's going to have a son, which that was a really big deal back then to have a son. And nowadays we're like, I just want my baby to be healthy, have 10 fingers, 11 toes, eyes like their mama, that kind of usual healthy baby stuff. Um, not that their mama had 11 toes. Never mind. Uh, Zachariah didn't even get into that. He says to this angel of the Lord, he says, do you know me? You, you see me? I'm old. I'm old. My wife is no spring chicken either. How do I know you're not just messing with me? And we're looking at verse 19 to 20 because I don't like to paraphrase angels. It's just how I am. And then the angels answered him and said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you good news, to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, while all this is going on inside the temple, the people are outside. This is taking a while. They're, they're looking at their watches or their sundials or whatever it was that they had. And they're, they're probably wondering, what's, what's taking so long? He shouldn't be there that long. Something bad has happened. They may be considering who's going to have to go in and get him. What if he doesn't come out? We've got to go get him. And finally, he comes out and they're all like, hey, what took you so long? And, and Zacharias, he was all excited and he was like. <laughs> and they couldn't understand him because he couldn't speak. They realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs, but the Bible says he was unable to speak. Now, to his credit, most of us at that point would have just been like, I'm just going home. But the Bible says that he stayed and continued in his time of service to the Lord and then returned home. And shortly after he returned home, guess what happened? Elizabeth became pregnant. But here's something I found interesting in this story. The Bible says she remained in seclusion for five months. They told no one. Now, I have to switch gears here and, and shift into to share another story with you. As Elizabeth begins her sixth month of pregnancy, the angel Gabriel, the same one that visited with Zacharias, now goes to visit with a young girl named Mary, who was betrothed to marry a man named Joseph. In Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 38, the Bible says this, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call him. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her and said to her. Actually, I want to pause there for a second. Zacharias doubted straight up. Even though he was before an angel of the Lord and the angel told him what was going to happen, he was like, how can that happen? 
I'm too old. My wife's too old. We've been barren far too long. There's no way. And, And you look at this. Mary's not saying the same thing that Zacharias said. Okay, Mary's asking a sincere question here. And and just in case you had that same thought that I initially had when she said, well, how can this be? She wasn't saying God can't do this. She wasn't questioning the message or the messenger. She just wanted to know how it was going to happen. And so he says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, And this is where it gets really fun. Even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The Bible tells us that that Mary then went to visit Elizabeth, and as they hugged, Elizabeth's baby leapt in her womb, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit, as was John. You see, John was born in a priestly family, but he wasn't he wasn't named after his father. He didn't become a priest as he would would have been the norm, would have been the expected thing. And all four of the Gospels tell us that John came as a prophet to prepare the way before Jesus. And that's what I want to kind of get with you today. I want to share with you what John thought about the truth of what he was there to do, of what he was saying. It starts off right here in John chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. John testified about him being Jesus and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received And grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Listen, John the Baptist knew that Jesus was coming to be the fulfillment of the law. And he believed it. And he testifies about Jesus. If you read on in this chapter, you will hear John say to the priests and the Levites, I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. They were asking him, who are you? Why would you say these things? Why are you baptizing? Why are you doing these things? He says, I'm not Elijah the prophet. I'm not the Christ. But I'll tell you who I am. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. They said, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, then why are you baptizing people? And John told them, I baptized with water, but there was someone among you who is greater. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I would like to see who was around that crowd to see the response of the the Levites or the, the Pharisees and those folks. When John said, there's someone around you. And then the next day, verse 29 says this. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. You see, not only is John directing the people around him to repent and baptizing them for repentance, he's encouraging even his own disciples to follow Jesus. He's encouraging the the other disciples uh, the Pharisees and the, and the priests, he's saying, hey, 
He's coming. He's around you. He's going to be here. And he came to change things up. And, and he even tells his own disciples this. Look at verses 35 through 42. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. These are people who have committed to following John, to helping, to learning what John has to teach about Jesus. These men are committed to this. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. In verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now I want to pause right there for a second. In this day and time, that's something that was unheard of. If you were to be a disciple of someone, you did not leave them. Usually it was a lot like marriage. You were with that person until they passed on. And then you carried on the message that they had shared with you, what they had taught you through history and religion and, and all that stuff. And you, you carried that on. But here is John the Baptist who had disciples, had people that were following him. And he says to them, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples that heard this went and followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and he saw them following. And he says to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now, you may be thinking, eh, what's the big deal? Here it is right here. One of the two who heard John speak and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And went to follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And then the Bible says he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You see, John wasn't competing with Jesus. John wasn't even allowing his disciples to compete with Jesus. Sometimes his disciples didn't really know what was happening because they were both there. But here's an example where John said, hey, behold the, the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples said, you know what? It's time for us to, to shift gears. It's time for us to now follow Jesus. There wasn't a competition. John knew his part. His part was to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. I always say that maturing in the Lord is a three-part process. There's my part, your part, and God's part. We all have a part to play. And, and John knew this. John did his part. He proclaimed the coming Messiah. He prepared the way. God did his part. Hearts and minds were transformed due to John's preaching, just like it was prophesied with his father in the temple from the angel of the Lord. All right. And then um, so, so John's preaching people and, and he was reaching people. And we just read an example of those guys doing their part. When the time came, they stopped following John and started following Jesus. That's what that's how it was supposed to happen. But John's job wasn't completely finished once Jesus arrived. We learn a little bit more about John from the writings of Josephus, a Jewish historian. He was born shortly after Jesus died. And here's what he says. He said, John was a pious man. He was bidding um, and he was bidding the Jews to come together for baptism. And when everybody turned to John, for they were profoundly stirred by what he said, Herod feared that John's influence over the people might lead to an uprising. And I bring this up because typically what we hear of John the Baptist is, oh, well, he wore camel hair and he ate bugs and he, he had honey and he stayed in the woods. This is a Jewish historian that, that is, is, is authenticating or verifying this. He's saying, hey, not only that, but he was known as a pious man in, in the community. 
And he, he spoke and it stirred up people to the point that King Herod is, is a little uneasy. That if he says the wrong thing, that the people might just do everything that John said for them to do. And so he thought it was much better under those circumstances to get John out of the way and before something might develop. And, and he would then be sorry because he didn't act on it. So he did what any good suspicious king would do. He has John put to prison. We read in Mark chapter 6 where John is executed. And, and there's something that's just interesting to me. John told King Herod it wasn't lawful for him to take his brother's wife. And the Bible tells us that Herodias, that was King Herod's brother's wife, held a grudge against John the Baptist for that. She actually wanted him to die. That's a pretty impressive grudge. And the Bible also tells us that Herod was afraid of John, but that he enjoyed listening to what John had to say. And so, yeah, he put John in prison, but he would bring John out, and John would then tell this king how he wasn't doing things right. (laughs) how he shouldn't be doing these, this, the certain things that he was doing. And it just perplexed King Herod. But he didn't want anything bad to happen to John. And he, he was actually afraid of John. But he enjoyed listening to him. And ultimately, he had John beheaded because his foundation of quicksand got the better of him. You see, he was having a party, and he requested that his wife's daughter would dance for his guests. And he told her, he promised her anything she wanted if she would come out and dance for his guests. And so she danced, and then she requested, at the advice of her mother, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And now right about now, you're thinking, this is probably the worst Mother's Day message I've ever heard. Stay with me. We're not done yet. I have to get through all that so I can say this. Let's go back to the beginning. John was promised to an aging couple who were barren. Zacharias and Elizabeth, in their old age, and that promise was given to them because they were known to be righteous before the Lord. They were told that not only are we going to, is God going to give you a son, but he shouldn't take wine or fermented drink ever. And if he does that, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe about John the Baptist. John knew the truth of who Jesus was, and he lived his life according to that truth. You see, he learned that truth from his parents. Ultimately, to shadow what Scott said, he learned that truth from his mother. Because in Jewish culture, the kids stayed with their mothers until they were about 12 or so, and then they went off and they did whatever it was that dad did, and they learned the family trade. And so, much like you think about Moses, while his mother was his quote-unquote, wet nurse after he was hidden in the reeds and found by the Egyptian princess, by Pharaoh's uh, daughter. And so mother, you know, Moses is given back to his mother, and while she's nursing him, while she's raising him, she's telling him, here's your culture, here's your heritage, here's your worldview, here's what you need. That's taking place. Same thing here. Little John the Baptist is growing up in a house where his mom is explaining to him what it is he's here to do goes back to what I said before, parents. If we're not going to invest in our kids on the foundational truths of God's word, the world is ready to do that. But the foundation they offer is quicksand. Unfortunately, even in Bible times, some of the people that should have been directing folks to the fulfillment of these prophecies, which was Jesus, 
couldn't wrap their minds around it, and they were caught up in a similar quicksand. But John lived his life according to the truth that was taught. John knew that his job was to prepare people for the coming Messiah, but then to pass them on. And he was so sure of this truth. His disciples questioned Jesus sometimes. Hey, why is it that you're doing this and John's over here in jail? And when you read about the way that Jesus answered that, he's, he's giving um, accolades to John. But John's not questioning Jesus. John knows that Jesus is here and it's time for him to kind of fade away. And he was okay with it. His disciples questioned, but John knew his purpose. John was able to live his life this way. And because of that, he was able to stand up to the Pharisees. He was able to stand up to the, the priests. He was able to stand up to the king that had him put in prison. He wasn't worried about the consequences because he knew the truth. And in knowing the truth, he was able to stand firmly because that truth was taught to him by his parents, by his mother. And he was able to stand before a king and say, what you're doing in your personal life is against God. And the king said, whoa, I'm going to have to put you in jail because I can't have somebody with that kind of a, of a mindset speaking to everybody like that. Who knows what could happen? And, and so there he is. And eventually beheaded. But the king was sad when John the Baptist was beheaded. He was able to do this because he was raised by a woman who knew the truth of God's word. And she built her life on that truth. And she passed that truth on to her son. As we prepare for our response time this morning, I want to tell you that one of my favorite things about this story about John the Baptist is that his mother, Elizabeth, she was older. She was barren. What that really translates to in that culture is she was on the verge of being forgotten about. She was coming to a place in her life where she was losing value in the community, if you will. She was an older woman who couldn't have a child, who was married and couldn't pass on another generation for her husband. Two things that counted in that culture uh, were, were that you, one, uh, you were a woman, but if you had lots of kids, oh, you were blessed. You were, everybody wanted to be like you. But in her case, her age and her barrenness were two things that added up to a uselessness according to the popular worldview, if you will. Let's face it, in that time to be a married woman, older married woman without children was a shameful place. We saw it with, with Abraham and Sarah. We saw it in, in other places in the Bible. But the older you would get, the more obvious it would become that you're not going to have children. And so the story of John the Baptist begins with a kind of restoration of Elizabeth, who's a faithful wife, who's a faithful woman. And you know what she doesn't, she doesn't do? She doesn't go dancing through the neighborhood like showing off. She doesn't go to the, to the, the other ladies who probably shunned her or, or culturally didn't really respect her. And she wasn't like, hey, look at my baby bump. She didn't do that kind of stuff. She was grateful for the gift that she was given. She even said, God is restoring me. But here's what she knew. This is why she chose to stay secluded for at least six months until Mary came to visit her. Elizabeth knew all along what I pray that all of you ladies here know today. Her self-worth was in the Lord and what he thought of her, not in what her community thought of her. 
Her self-worth didn't come from her neighbor. It came from her Lord. And this morning, I want to say to all of our ladies, no matter what the world is telling you of your worth or your age or your appearance or your success or your failures, you are not defined by this world. Your value doesn't come in how many children you have or don't have. I've been in the church long enough to know that women of all ages, makes and models have done more to influence young men and women of the faith than some women who had 20 kids. You've seen them on TV. There's 20 of them in a moving van. If someone hasn't told you in a while, I want you to know that you are priceless in the eyes of the Lord. He sees your value and he sees the great things that are in store for you, regardless of your age, regardless of your social standing, regardless of where you think you might be right now. You are a child of the King of Kings. And if you live your life on the foundation of the truth of his word, you'll not only be honored by him every day, not just once a year. I have one last question for all of you today. What does it look like for you to live your life on the foundation of the truth of God's word? What does that really look like? Maybe for you, in order to do that, it starts with submitting to the Lord for baptism, for the forgiveness of your sins, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to pray with the elders. You need to talk something out. You need to get some things aligned so you can get back on track with the Lord. And the elders are here this morning. They'd love to pray with you. I don't know what that looks like for us to know, not just know that God's word is truth, but make a commitment as individuals that from this point forward, we will live on the truth of God's word. We will build our families on that foundation. Because if we don't, the world will take them and they will sink in a quicksand that is painful to watch. Whatever your response is today to God's word, will you stand and sing our response song with us this morning and decide Will you live your life on the foundation of the truth of God's word? Or do you prefer the quicksand that the world offers? Sing this song with us. It's been great to be here with you all this morning to celebrate and to worship with you, to share God's word with you, to share his truth with you. But now it's time to go. As you go this week, I hope that you'll take the truth of God's word with you and that you'll share it with someone else. As you go to win, I pray that you will also commit to grow yourself in his word in his truth and in his ways no matter what others may think of you our creator our god values values you and that's the truth go live your life on the foundation and the truth of his word will you sing this last song with us